Hello, and the Lord be with you, everyone. And I want to begin right away with this uh, next beatitude, which is in Matthew chapter 5, and in verse 5. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, we've got a problem here on more than one front. It's one of the most difficult words to translate into English for many reasons, but I'm going just simply to take this hour together just defining the word piece by piece because there's no way to say it in one paragraph. And and one of the first difficulties we have is that the world has taken this word which would describe strength at its greatest and turned it on its head. And if you ask the average person in the world or even in the church who have not been spiritually educated in this, they will tell you that it means what? I've heard the words cowardly, uh, weak, um, helpless, becoming a doormat, all those words, which are all extreme words, negative words. And they've all been associated with this word meek. And therefore, the flesh, my my human flesh, uh, would see meekness as a betrayal of myself. That is, if if I'm going to be meek, then it means that I'm going to betray myself, accept Whatever anyone throws at me, accept the limitations of my being and sit as a victim on the sidewalk and say that I'm holy because I'm meek and and probably add to that by hang my head and hit my chest and say I'm no good, I'm unworthy. And that fits in with this negative picture of meek. Let us get this straight, that What I've just said, that the world says about it, um, that uh, attitude, that uh, definition that is so negative is fueled directly by the lie of Satan in the Garden of Eden. We, We have come, and maybe the reason there is so much contention with this word is we've touched the very center of what the lie is all about, and therefore, in the, in the true definition, we have touched the very heart of what the love of God is all about. The, the whole mass of evil that poured out of the Garden of Eden is around this word. You see, the lie said, you shall be as God. And then comes the voice of God himself in Jesus Christ in not only this verse, which is amazing because he says the meek shall inherit the earth. So it doesn't sound like a weak wimp. Um, But also a little later in this same gospel, chapter 11, Jesus said, learn of me because I am meek and lowly. That is the only time that Jesus specifically described himself. And he says, I am meek. Do you get this? There is the insidious voice of Satan saying, you shall be as God. What life begins and ends with you. 
And here comes the voice of truth and love and life that says, learn of me because I am meek. So, you see, we better get a hold of this because it's at the very, I say, the beating heart of what it means to be alive. And the opposite, the negative, is the death that came into the Garden of Eden, into the human race. It is only when we are meek, when we've learned what meekness is, that we begin to live in the reception of the grace of God, the reception of the blessing of God. And I underscore what I just said as reception. You see, only the meek will see they have a need of the grace of God. Only the meek can open their hands and heart and receive the blessing of God. For unless I'm meek, I don't see that I need the blessing. You see, meekness opens my eyes to his gifts. If my eyes are not opened, I don't even see there are gifts to take. Okay? This this word, because of what I've just said, its negative connotations in the world, um, I've noted all modern translations of the Scripture, and we've got plenty of them, but they translate it as gentle. In fact, my New American Standard, when I, when I just read it, I, I substituted the word meek because they have their blessed are the gentle. And elsewhere, um, other translations uh, translate this word as humble. And so you get all these verses scattered through Scripture. It's almost 100% that they've translated it gentle or humble. Now, okay, gentle and humble are connected words to the word meek. But, and hear me very carefully, they are the external expression of the heart that is meek. And so gentleness cannot be the definition of meek. No, one is meek, and the result of that in life is gentleness and humility. But meekness, no, this is where it all comes from. You You can't define the word by its expression. So what is meekness? It's getting more interesting by the minute. Well, uh, we are talking here of the very attitude of Jesus. We've already referred to the fact in Matthew eleven twenty-five that he describes himself as meek. But do you remember in Philippians 2 where Paul says, let this, well, some of your translations have let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. But maybe a better translation there would be, let this attitude, which is, that's, that's the heart of you, your attitude. Attitude is how you see life and how you see yourself and how you see life in relation to yourself. Attitude. And, and you, you know, you don't have to say a word. Your attitude shows through. You can be silent and your face is giving me a volumes of expression. Um, you've said to your teenager, haven't you? You've got an attitude. Maybe you didn't say a word, but it's written all over the way we look and act. 
Now let this attitude be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. People say that we're radical in what we say. Can you get any more radical than that? That the very attitude of Jesus would be your attitude. And what's that attitude? If we had time to read on, that whole passage describing Jesus is one of meekness. It is describing meekness as the the life of Jesus in our humanity as meekness, and we are to recognize that that attitude is ours. Oh, try this on. Um, Love. Do I have to say that the whole of this gospel is the love of God toward us and the love of God in us? And in 1 Corinthians 13, uh, 4, it says, listen, love is patient, love is kind, Love is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered. That entire sentence would go along with gentleness and humility as to describe the impact of meekness in in your society. So then, (laughs) I mean to be a Christian, to have seen and accepted the love of God is to enter into this world, and it is another world of meekness. This is then the essence of eternal life. This this is what it means to be a Christian. So let, let's explore what this incredible word which Jesus said will bring us joy that will be the envy of all, that inherits the earth. Understand what this meekness really is. Well, it has components. And let's look at them. Um, The very first component of meekness is that we trust in God. Now, that, that seems pretty basic. But let me put it this way, meekness is seen. Meekness is there within the heart of the believer, but it is actually seen. It comes into play when there's a conflict. Maybe this is why people don't like to talk about it. Uh, There's a conflict, and it's a conflict in which I'm unable to control or influence the circumstances. You know, something happens and you feel that awful sinking feeling. You, you feel, I, I can't do anything about this. There, there's, there's nothing I can do to control this and bring it into the ways I want it to be. So how do I respond to that? This is it. How do you respond to that? When life when the person's in life, the persons you live with and work with and neighbor with, and everything that has happened in the last hour is just falling your life apart. How do we respond in such circumstances? I would say frustration is right up there. That comes very quickly. We're frustrated and we're irritated. And it shows on our face. It snaps in our words. 
but then it can move to anger. And that anger can look pretty ugly and it can do some very destructive things to whoever or whatever is standing in my way right now. And if we can't resolve it in any anger, then it turns into bitterness. And bitterness is a deep root of poison within our spirits. Okay? How does meekness handle that? Meekness looks to God and trusts in God that he is in me. He's in this situation. It is his arena. This is his stage upon which he is going to be glorified. And therefore, the meek, instead of standing in angry opposition, frustration, irritation, or bitterness toward a situation, those those persons look to the Holy Spirit within them, and they rest in, and they trust in God's ability to direct all of these events. So, one of the first things, and if this is missing, then the whole jolly lot is missing. Missing, uh, rather, meekness is therefore this active. I have to emphasize that. It's active. It's intentional. It's a deliberate trust in God. In circumstances I do not like, and it is a trust in God that rests deeply into his love, the ability of his love to cause these very circumstances to bring about the glory of God. Let me emphasize this. I mean, we speak about the love of God uh, probably in every half hour I talk to you, but just, just for the sake of those that might not get it yet, what do we mean by the love of God? It doesn't mean that God is generally sort of nice. The love of God is passionate. The love of God to to some persons who are antagonistic to that love, the love of God appears as terrifying. The love of God is the power of God. The love of God is behind his word that brought the whole creation into being. And the love of God is not an abstract sort of floating niceness that's out there, sort of a, what what do they say these days? This loving universe, as if a universe, no, only person can love, not not universe. And I'm not saying the creature universe is love, I'm saying the creator behind the universe is love. And so love is finally defined in the person of Jesus. For God so loved the world that... And that word, that, says, put in your colon because we're going to define it. God so loved the world. What does he mean by that? That he gave his only begotten Son. Jesus, the Son of God, God the Son, is the love of God that has joined us in our humanity and will not let us go. And in in 1 John, let me read 1 John in chapter 4. It's it's one of those uh, verses that puts it all together. In verse 6 of chapter 4 of 1 John, 
We have come to know. Feel that. We have come to know. And that word in the original language is know by experience, know by personal observation. That is, you didn't read it in a book. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. Believed, that is, I trust in that love. I, I, I have come to treasure that love. I have believed in it. God is love. The one who abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. That is speaking of you and I, believer. We abide in, that is taken up residence in love. If you, then you abide in God himself. God came to us in Jesus. The Holy Spirit. Spirit connects us with Jesus in this moment, and we dwell inside of love, and love himself abides, dwells, takes up residence in us. He goes on to say there is no fear in love. Love. We trust in God's love. We trust him. And therefore, as Joseph, when he was in the midst of unbelievably negative situation, continued to trust in that love in which he lived and moved. And trusting in that love, he ended up, and I believe it's chapter 50 of Genesis, saying to his brothers who had been his chief persecutors, well, worse than that, they were his kidnappers, murderer would be, and he said, you meant it all for evil. But God meant it for good. That is, I trusted in God's love. I did not organize my thoughts in terms of revenge. I didn't sit there in where you had put me, filled with bitterness and rage against you. I simply looked to this incredible, all-powerful God and said, You who are love, you mean this for good. And it lasted it could be 20 years, where he continued to look and rest in God. Look, that's the first statement of meekness. And it's not resignation to fate. It is saying, well, it is not saying that, that well, you know, this is fate, we just got to accept it, you see. No, there's nothing passive about meek. This, what? It's not a reluctant submission to events. I mean, you, you don't have to be a Christian to resign to fate. What is to be will be. And you sit there in the corner and, and see yourself as a victim. Now, that's not meekness. There's no glory to God in that. No, this meekness, it's an attitude of heart. That is, it comes in the very center of myself. It is focused on the God who unchangeably loves. The God who said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. In the midst of circumstances that are against us, that especially holds true. He's not walked out on us. You say, well, I don't feel him. Well, we're not dealing with feelings. We're dealing with facts and truth. And yes, when you're in circumstances, you feel the hurt. You, you feel the pain. But the fact is, 
which our heart knows and focuses on. God has not left you, abandoned you. His love has in no way diminished. He is even now making this happen for good. And so meekness begins with this expectant trust in him. Expectant, you see. It's not passive, but rather it's dynamically expectant. That is, I'm on tiptoe inside. I'm expecting God to turn this for good, even though it doesn't happen on my calendar, on my timing. His love, his faithfulness is mighty toward us. So meekness is birthed. Meekness comes into its own in a complete trust, trusting God's love for us that's been revealed in Jesus and now is in us and in our situation through the Holy Spirit. Meekness is rooted. You see, it's got deep roots in it. It's a deep confidence that God is for you. Do you ever think about that? God, creator, God who came to us in Jesus, God the Holy Spirit who now fills you in the room where you are. He is pro you. Pro you. That's a weak word to what I'm trying to say. He's utterly for you. If God be for us, says Romans 8, who can be against you? (laughs) Look, that's in the scripture. Who can be against you? Did you hear what that's saying? There is no person. There is no circumstance that can ever ultimately be successfully been against you because God is for you. He's not only with you. With you, he's 100% for you. He can never leave you. He can never forsake you. Therefore, he is limitlessly trusted. A meek one has come to that. And I, sometimes you, you realize you've come there and, and you look back over life of the last few weeks and you realize the change that has taken place. You've come to trust that love. Um, other times it really is um, quite a crisis moment when, when that's it. If, if God is for me, if he is love toward me, then All the circumstances of my life are included in that. When I say me, I include the house I live in, I include my family, I include my workplace, I include my past, my future. That's me. It all comes. That's the baggage I bring. Well, he loves me and he's with me in all of those expressions And when I am opposed, I look to him and recognize that he is my vindication. Or as David says, you are a shield all around me. You are my glory. You are the lifter of my head. Who's the idiot that will try then to take away my glory, my honor? Who's the fool who will try to get through the shield? You see what I'm saying? That's the first thing. You trust his love. But then the word very close to it is then entrust, entrust, into trust. That that is the meek entrust themselves totally to him. The the word submission crops up here. 
And submission is another one of those words that the world can't stand. Um, They think it means being a doormat. No, the word submission simply means, there's nothing very complicated about it, it it simply means that I'm going to step into my place, the place where I belong in relation to God and then from that relation to others. That is, I'll, I'll be who I truly am in relation to God and to others. That's the essence of humility. Um, and, And that means that when I stand in my place, I'm not looking out there at others with envy, wishing and planning to be in their place. You follow me? It means that when I'm here, I don't stand saying, I wish I was there. You know, the the people who go to work on Monday and drag their feet right through till Thursday and then celebrate, thank God it's Friday. Well, it means you really haven't been at work all week. You've been in this other place envying people who are not at work. That is until you don't have work and then you're full of another kind of complaint. Um, Or we simply complain about everything, complain about the weather, we complain about what we have and don't have and so on. That is, I don't step into my place. I fight my place. Now, submission is, again, intentionally standing in one's place before God. That is, I know that without Him, I can do nothing. Without Him, I am but an empty container. But, that I mean, they never stop in the middle of the sentence, but in relation to God, He fills me. And therefore... I am a person who knows my place before God. Without Him, I can do nothing. And therefore, when I look at others, I'm not trying to push them down or be them, but rather in this place where I find myself in this hour, this place is where God shall make His glory known. I I am a creature receiver of the very life of God And I express that wherever I find myself to be, for that is the the greatest adventure I can possibly have. And I say again, that's not passive. That just doesn't sort of happen to you. It's an active, it's an intentional abandonment into the hands of God where the one who loves me as much as he loved Jesus is right now working his glory in me. So what is submission? It's that joyful trusting in the love of God, standing under. Oh, yes, because I'm a creature. I stand under, but I stand under the one who loves and I receive from above. I I listen to his word that he speaks through scripture and by his spirit within me. I'm eager. I'm ready to let all of life be drawn into what I'm hearing of that love. He's going to show his love in every part. This is not something you do with your your Christian hobby, that is, when you're reading the Bible and praying or going to church or something. No, every part of my life is going to express and be filled with this love. My family, my work, my school, every moment of life is to be entrusted into the hands of God in every minute. 
and to expect and hope of God, to rest in him and his outcome. Look, let, let's put it like this. There, there are some of you, I know, I know you're there. There's got to be. In, in the audience of this size, there's got to be more than one. And, and you anxiety, you worry to the point of making yourself sick over your children. I'm talking about you, you see. Have you ever taken your children one by one, released them from your grasp that's going to smother them, and put them into the hands of God and say, they're your responsibility. I can't handle them, you see. You, 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 you've, you've smothered, you've drowned them in trying to make them what you think they ought to be, should be. You, you've tried to stop them and protect them all at the same time. Stop it. Stop it. That's the opposite of meekness. Meekness, I trust him. I trust him with my work. So no longer anxiety. Shall I keep the job? Shall I lose the job? He, he's in charge of all of that. And if you lose the job, it's only because he's got some greater glorious plan. And it's the anxiety that brings about your fears. It's taking that and putting it into the hands of God and saying, you love me, I entrust my life with you. People are worried sick over their health and make themselves sick. If you, if you sit and watch an evening of television, it convinces you you've got every disease under the sun and all their medicine is only going to kill you sooner. That's what they tell you. Uh, and have you ever taken your body, taken the organs of your body and said they're entrusted to you? They're not my worry. I do all I know to do. I do all the healthy things I know to do, but it's, it's in your hands. It's in your hands. See, we have no agenda outside of Christ. Christ says the scripture, who is our life? And my life, as I just said, expands into many different areas. Well, Christ is my life in all of those areas. We are living from him, not for him. We're living from him. And we're living from his strength. And we're living within his protection, knowing that all our times are in his hands. Now, this means that we are of great strength. Do, do you follow what I mean by that? Yes, in myself I'm weak, but that's forgotten in the one who dwells within me, the love strength of God through his Spirit. And as we yield to him, as we submit joyfully to him, then his life flows through us. The... I saw something down at the creek um, when we had some floods here. And, and of course, uh, the creek is just a little running creek. But when we have floods, it becomes a roaring flood. And, and all stuff is picked up and dumped here and there and caught in the rocks. And, and after the flood is over, I, I saw this. There was a, a pond had been made because of this pile of stuff that was now across the creek where the flood had dumped it and the water couldn't get through. Well, it did. And it's amazing. It's amazing. I should have taken a photograph. There, there was a, a, a piece of grass, you know, a grass that, that has a hole down the middle. It's, it's like a, um, a funnel out, uh, but it was grass. 
and, and it, it was caught in all the stuff, but it went from both sides. And so the mighty waters on the other side were now coming through that hollow grass and pouring out on the other side. And I realized, a piece of grass? How weak can you get? And yet that grass that was submitted to the great waters on the other side was able to be the channel by which those waters got through. It's an amazing sight. And I thought immediately of meekness. I, I recognize my position. I recognize who I am, but I recognize that I am submitted and yielded to the love of God that can flow through and bless the world. That that little piece of grass was the, the, the way in which the river could get through. See, I say it again, a meek person is fully aware that in and of ourselves we can do nothing. Yes, but having said that, you forget it because we revel in the fact that we are united to God in Jesus Christ and all that he is and all that he has flows through us by his Holy Spirit. So that means then we're not agitated, irritated, anxious, angry in situations that do not appear to further God's agenda or our agenda. Why, why, why be agitated and anxious? Because the Father is in all of this, and in fact, I am actually being conformed to the very image of Christ in all of this, and he is flowing through me to bring about his purpose. And I say again, that there's no timeline on this. There's no calendar. I don't know when. We'll see how all this works out. But agitation arises from the fear that I can do nothing. Anxiety is I've got to do something. I don't know what to do, but I've got to do it. Angry that this thing should happen and this person stand in my way. Meekness says, Father, I'm in your hands. You're in this situation. You're working in me. You're working through me. And you're working in the situation. And whatever these people mean for evil, you mean it for good. So in every situation, meekness seeks to know and recognize that God is our life. He's our protector. Everything is in his hands. Maybe if you look at... at First Peter 2.21, speaking of Jesus in his suffering, maybe you've never thought of it like this, but it says, I quote, since Christ also suffered for you, it, it so, comes in on those terrible sufferings of Jesus, he left you an example for you to follow in his steps. That is about the only time in the scripture where it says that Christ is an example Every other place it says he's in us. He is the life. But this time it's talking about the way Jesus acted and what he said and didn't say as an example. That this, this is the way it is. This is the life that he has given us. And it's exampled in what he did. And he, Okay, he committed no sin. There was no deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, 
He did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. That is, for every word spoken to him in rage, all the spit in his face, the clubbing of his person, the crown of thorns, the mockery, the bullying, the torment, the torture, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. And if any human on this planet could have, he'd already shown he could. Remember when they came to arrest him, all he said was, I am, and they all fell flat on their back. And when they stumbled to their feet, he said, then come and get me. He, he made it known right at the beginning, you have no power over me whatsoever except what I allow, I give to you. So when he was reviled and did not revile in return, I guess the soldiers had forgotten that one word from him and they'd be flat on their back. But what's Jesus doing? He's accepting. <clears throat> he's, not, he's not using power to protect himself. While suffering, he uttered no threats. And one can only imagine the threats that he could when they're doing this to none other than God himself. The threats he could make, but no. He acted as one of us and kept entrusting himself, placing himself and what was happening to him in the hands of his Father. Or what about in Proverbs 3 where it says, In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your path. That's the way meekness lives. Let me, there's a story in 1 Samuel that I could really spend two hours on, but enough. David was pursued by Saul who, out of envy, jealousy, sheer hatred, and above all fear, of David. Saul pursued David relentlessly. It was his obsession. David was his son-in-law, and David was the one that Samuel the prophet had marked out, anointed, and the Holy Spirit had come upon David as a little teenager and said, you're the next king of Israel. And Saul, although he was not actually privy to that, but he, he knew it. He knew this, this boy is blessed of God and he's going to take my place. And so he tried to kill David again and again and again. David had already escaped out of the window of his bedroom and fled for his life. There had been that time when playing to Saul, remember the, the javelin of Saul, the man who never missed, but this time he missed and the javelin stuck in the wall behind David. Oh, it had been bad. And David had run, run to the caves down in southern Judea. And there he'd been joined by a band of men. He was an outlaw, always avoiding Saul, running just before Saul got to where he had been. I mean, if ever a man stood in the way of destiny, David knew he was anointed to be king. And here Saul kept standing in his way of that. I mean, get rid of Saul and I'll be king tomorrow and all of this pain will be over. 
and they were in a cave, he and his men, in the back of the cave, big cave. And who should suddenly appear at the door of the cave? The silhouette of Saul the king. And why we, Saul came, poor chap, to reveal him. Re, <laughs> he, he had come, basically he'd come to go to the bathroom. And he he squats down, and his great royal robe is behind him. And the men look at each other with eyes blazing. They say, God has done it. God has put this man into our hands. We can kill him, and it will all be over. By tonight, you'll be king. And David, he crawls on his belly toward the edge of the cave to where the great robe of Saul is behind him. And and all the men expect him to kill Saul and it will all be over. Instead, David cuts a piece off the end of Saul's robe and edges his way back to the men and they look at him, are you mad? Are you crazy? That's the man who wants to kill you, and all you do is cut off a piece of his robe. What is the matter with you? Saul finished his business and goes out of the cave on his way, and David runs after him and arrests him with his words. He said, Saul, Saul turned around, and there stood David with the piece of his robe in his hand, and he said, God delivered you into my hand and I did not kill you because that is not my intention. I'm in God's hands and I'm leaving you in God's hands. Saul collapsed in weeping. and That was the act of meekness. That is at the heart of what God said of David that he's a man after my own heart. Let me quickly say this. This does not mean, well, actually using David right there, David did not stop to be killed. That is, when they came to his house, as I just said, he got out through the bedroom window and ran for his life. When when Saul threw the javelin, David flew to his feet and ran out and had run all over the wilderness of Judea trying to escape from Saul. If you are being abused right now, if you are a wife that is being abused, stop saying that you fell down the stairs. Face up that you are being abused. Someone's trying to kill you. Get just what you need and get to a woman's shelter. I am not saying that we stand there to take it. I am saying we look through what's happening as we seek to protect ourselves, but we see what is happening, that God's glory shall triumph in the end, and there we rest. I hope that makes sense. This this takes all the complaint out of life. We're not asking, why me? You know, people blame God, blame man, blame Satan, blame, blame, blame. But meekness doesn't rage at God nor even ask the question why. We rest in God's faithfulness. He'll carry us through this to his end. Meekness then is not consumed with its self-ability. It's not selling itself and pushing self to grab what I believe is my right. 
and I'll tread on everybody else to get it. You know how corporations work, how politics works. No. Meek rests in God. If he said that I am to be king, then I don't have to kill anybody to get it. There's no, there's no whining that, that why and no, rather the question is, Lord, you who love me, you who are with me, you who are faithful, you who work out your plan, what are you doing here so I can cooperate with you? What do you want to be here? What are you teaching me here? Totally different. And that morphs into a third a component of meekness. It's a commitment. We commit we entrust our very selves, but within that there is this committal. You know where it says, commit your way to the Lord? Uh, it's in Psalm 37. In fact, the first 11 verses of Psalm 37 are of tremendous importance here because this is where Jesus quoted from when he said, blessed are the meek. That's out of Psalm 37. And in there it says, commit your way to the Lord. And that literally... See, some things you can't translate them literally, uh, though it wouldn't hurt sometimes. But that word literally means to roll. Yes, you heard me, roll. Um, it was when um, a camel, w- which was the 18-wheelers of that day, where they piled them high with all the goods they were carrying. And, and then the camel, when they got to their goal, the, the camel would kneel down. And all that burden would be rolled off of the camel. And it says, commit your way to the Lord. That is, roll your way, that which is burdening you down. Roll it onto the Lord. And so we roll. And there's something of, what can I say? There's a sense of violence to it, shall I say? I mean, you have to push it. You're going to roll it. Take all your relationships and roll them into the hands of God. Take your business and all its problems in people and and anything that stands in your way, roll it onto the Lord. Take your problems, take your health, your future, your fears, your frustrations and roll them onto the Lord. Do it. You do it with words that come from your heart. I'm done. I'm finished. I roll this onto the Lord. I rest in my inability, my insufficiency. That that doesn't cause anxiety. You can't do it? Well, no. You're a creature, remember? You came from the hand of God, and in making you, he said that he would dwell within you. Your life would be a partnership, a covenant union between you and your Creator. And sin is saying, I'll handle this myself. No wonder you're anxious. <laughs> No wonder. Well, Satan said you would try and be as God. And, and only God can be God. So meekness rests, I say, in, yes, I'm unable. In many areas of life, it shows up. I'm insufficient to cope with, with life. In fact, of the whole of salvation, Jesus himself said, with men it's impossible Rest begins with saying, yes, it's impossible. 
and I'm going to lay in that bed of it's impossible. I'm going to snuggle under the covers of inability, insufficiency, can't do it. Yes, I'm going to celebrate it. I'm going to rest where God says, if he said it's impossible, it is. All the complexities, the pressures, the obstacles of life. We trust in the God who loves us, who dwells in us by his Spirit, who is our sustainer, who is our guide, our eyes, our ears, our wisdom, our protector. And that means, well, I've got nothing to be angry about, do I? Because it's in his hands. I don't have to fret over not having what my neighbor has because it's in God's hands. I don't find my identity in having what every other chap on the street has. My identity is in this incredible God in the face of Jesus Christ. And so I don't have to retaliate and knock people down and destroy them with gossip and slander so I can tread them underfoot and get what I... No, I don't have to do that. I've handed my cause, I've handed my destiny, my pathway over to God and let him work this thing out, which morphs into waiting. And waiting, of course, is not passivity. None of this is passive. It's entrusting expectantly that he is at work in this moment. And I'm, I'm resting with bug eyes on tiptoe. I'm expecting, I'm resting also in his timing. I I don't have that he's got to work by this date sort of thing. I'm resting in his power to achieve what I can't even imagine could happen. I'm resting in his grace to work things out in the very best way for his glory and for our good. It's the intentional lifting of my heart and expectancy to him. Oh, this is all freedom from anxiety, that that chaotic drama and frenzy around those people. Maybe you are one of them. Everything's drama. Oh, it's got to do this, got to do that, got to make this happen. If that doesn't happen, if she says that, if he says, be still and wait on this God and, and let the joy of the Lord be your strength. You see, meek, they have a quietness. They have Yes, a gentleness, a stillness about their lives in the midst of our people. They trust in God, knowing that He has all their affairs under His control, knowing that He's giving to me grace to live through this situation every moment while He is working behind the scenes in ways I can never imagine. I say we are free from anger, which would be, a, if you're putting numbers on this, a number five in, in these expressions, components of meekness. We're no longer angry with the world in which we and everyone else lives and work. We're no lo- we don't spend the hour it takes to get home in a state of rage at everybody else on the road. It's... We're in God's hands. And and on the road now, instead of cursing at every person who would cut me off, I recognize what a time to recognize the presence of God. I have received more insight into God's ways stuck in traffic, waiting in long lines that never seem to move. What opportunity 
All your anxiety and anger does absolutely nothing except destroy you. But to recognize, (laughs) God's stuck in the traffic with me. And if I have to get through, it's amazing how he'll get me through. He's working all things out. The setbacks, the obstacles, the opponents of life. They no longer produce the bitterness and frustration and irritation, the fretfulness that characterize the world. No wonder Psalm 27 says, verse 13, I would have despaired unless I had believed I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. So therefore, wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. Moses, what is it, Uh, Numbers chapter 12, in in the first verses there, Moses is called the meekest man in all the earth and is right in the middle of a story taken from the home life of Moses. Um, And and it was between the siblings, Moses, and and of course uh, Miriam was his older sister and she had been the one who when Moses was put into the river Nile just after he was born it was Miriam a little girl at the time and she ran along the riverbank to watch what happened do you remember that and then of course Aaron his brother well let me Miriam Miriam was a piece of work (laughs) she was Um, Aaron he was, I mean, he was a wimp. I mean, he was a wimp. You remember when they, Moses was on the mount with God and the people came and says, we want something to worship. And so Aaron said, bring me your gold. And he, he made the golden calf because the people wanted it, you understand. And then when Moses came and says, you know, what, what on earth have you done? What, what have you allowed this to happen? He said, well, I really don't know. I don't know. I, I, we had the gold. I put it in the barn. Out came this calf. Oh, Aaron, Aaron, Aaron. No, he was led around like a puppy dog by Miriam, who was a very strong lady. And Miriam had decided it was time that she had a go at leading the people. And so she started in on Moses and I suspect a lot of other people, certainly on Aaron, that who does Moses think he is? Standing up there and saying, thus saith the Lord, thus saith the Lord, thus saith the Lord. What right does he have to say that? Isn't it time for me? I'm his eldest sister, you know. This is, this is time for a liberation of women, and and come on, Moses, sit back, get out of the way, let me have my turn, and Aaron, you can help me do that. And anyway, what right does Moses have? He's married to a Cushite. Oh, she's getting racist now, very badly racist. And and she was saying it was because of his wife, the color of his wife, and where she came from, he's got no rights to... I mean, come on, we've already got to Numbers 12. Good grief. We've been through the Exodus. We've been through Moses bringing water out of the rock. We've been through that. And and she comes and says, it's time for you to sit down, little brother. 
Okay, what are you going to do, Moses? What are you going to do with this woman? Right there, at that point, I would expect the Scripture to say that Moses stood up with eyes blazing to say, don't you know who I am? Don't you realize God speaks to me? Don't you realize he's appointed me to do... That's I, I would expect that. I mean, stand up to the woman. But it's at that point, after that, the period, and now when I expect Moses to vindicate himself with rage, it says, now Moses was the meekest man in all the earth. And then it says, and the Lord heard what Miriam said. Moses did not. Moses did not have a punch out with Miriam verbally. Why not? Well, number one, he was very confident in who he is. He did not need to stamp his foot and shout and scream to prove it. And also he knew that God had made him who he is and had given him the work to do. And so then it was God that had better settle this problem. Meekness means committing your cause to God and not needing to defend yourself. So Moses doesn't fret. He doesn't get angry over those very critical words. And God did come to his defense, and that's the rest of the story of what happened with Miriam and Aaron. Um, Yeah, this is pretty radical, isn't it? (laughs) I would say so. This this is the radical life that Jesus came to give to us. It's the very essence of what it means that Christ is in you. This is what love of God poured out in your heart means in terms of how you face life. And that radical life that is within this word meekness can only become our blessed, glorious life when Christ is our life, when we have come to trust in Him, the one who loves us and dwells within us and is in control of our life. Meekness, said Jesus in Matthew chapter 11, you see it says, "'Come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest.'" What? is the core what's the cause of your weariness and heavy ladenness and what does the rest look like he goes on learn of me because i am meek and lowly and you will find rest for your souls that is all your weariness all the heavy ladenness of life arises from the opposite to meekness He says, come, learn of me, be joined to me. And in being joined to me, learn in your own experience this incredible God world of meekness. And you will find rest for your soul, which in Matthew 5 he calls blessedness. You know, I'm out of time. Let the Holy Spirit speak these words to you 
and we will finish this up next week. It's, it's too much. I was trying to do it in one hour, but there's so much here. And, and I want you to weigh this. Don't come under condemnation. God loves you in the midst of unmeekness. God loves you just where you are. And you're listening to this because he is drawing you to a newness of life that is beyond your comprehension right now. Do not be afraid. Jesus said this life is blessed. It is a joy that is beyond words. It is a harmony. It is a peace. This is the life of God. This is the rest of God that many listening to me lose as soon as you step outside your door, sometimes within your own house. I call you into the meekness of Jesus that comes from him, of which he is the very life and strength to a world that you cannot, even at this point, really understand. It's too grand, it's too glorious. But come and see and learn. And next week we will plunge into this river of meekness and see how we arrive there and how it works out in the midst of life. Now the blessing of God who is almighty love, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, deeply open your eyes, introduce you to this incredible life of freedom and rest that you might find rest for your soul. So I bless you. That is the way it is.